with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. We made it to the end of the work week. Thank you for joining us on the line on the Friday edition. Lance, how are you doing today, my man? Fantastic, Noah. How are you doing? Doing really well. Doing really well. And as always on our Fridays, we've got our wonderful guest, Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. And you have some juicy tidbits for us today, but not as much on the football trail, more so from the hardwood basketball we've got some stuff to talk about there yeah we do uh we were able to get into practice a little bit watch the team play and for the most part everybody was there so it was it was a lot of fun to see what they're like i love how open basketball is they're just kind of like hey you guys come on down let's go watch this and i i think that's a big part of positive messaging bruce pearl's great at controlling the message coming out of the program and bruce pearl's great at delivering a positive message out of the program too i'm sure when he you know if this team wasn't as talented i would be willing to bet that this program would be a little bit more closer to the vest but they're probably excited and probably want other people to know that they're pretty good yes they're very good um some of the newcomers are i think they're better than advertised so really really quick before we dive into that i believe Holden was uh, the quarterback was on campus just a couple of days or so ago. Did you actually get to ask him how to pronounce his last name? I did not get to see. I Ah. saw him and he walked past, but it was he was leaving camp and he was busy and he wasn't leaving yet. He was on campus for like three or four days. It was an unofficial visit, but he was on campus for a while. So I unfortunately didn't get to talk to him. Do we have any tidbits on that whatsoever? Do we do we know anything more now about Holden Jariner since he stepped foot on campus? Because that's the first time he's stepped foot on campus since this commitment and do we know anything a little bit more about Holden Jaren or is it has it been really close to the vest uh yeah it's been pretty kept quiet he came here and camped one day um and was able to kind of talk with some it was an elite camp so he got to talk with some other three and some four-star guys try and recruit them to Auburn and whatnot now he's going to the elite 11 finals right he is yes he got invited to that just a couple days or a week or so ago whatever it was but he was on campus for a couple days it wasn't unofficial visit, but he was kind of recruiting some other guys that were there. The guys that were on official visits, he was talking with them a little bit. So, And he will be back for an official visit because if you remember, that was planned to be an official, but he changed around his schedule a little bit, and now he'll take his official later on. Come back when it's a full house in Jordan-Hare, right? Exactly, and, yeah. And, and you're talking about recruiting players. Bring them in when you have one of your heavier recruiting ball games, a.k.a. Georgia or Alabama, which – this year, you've got them both on the home schedule. So a huge bump for this coaching staff, right? Year one, where we've talked about some areas where they may be struggling in recruiting this year. They at least get the recruiting bump that is having Georgia and Alabama at home. And not only do they get Georgia and Alabama at home on the schedule, they get Georgia and Alabama at home on a schedule where Auburn fans haven't been largely allowed in Air Stadium in two years now yeah so they're going to be even more raucous environments if i'm if i'm willing to bet if if things aren't horrible this year i would imagine those are going to be even more amped up environments than what we're used to i would think so yeah that's a good point i hadn't really thought about that too much but that certainly is an advantage that this coaching staff has for this uh recruiting cycle in your opinion and it's early auburn still only has three recruits at this point they're 52nd nationally last time i saw on one of the recruiting services and like 13th in the SEC. Things aren't going great right now, obviously, but is Holden Jariner the center of this recruiting class? Like, is he, is he the rallying point? Uh, I would say so. As of now, I don't 
I know he's a three star, but he's a very talented three star, mm-hmm. and I think he will be a four star. He is a four star on some other sites. I know rivals. We have him as a three star. I think he'll be a four star by the time it's all said and done. But he probably is that guy in this class. I think they might bring in some guys that are more highly rated than him, but. It's hard to think of a guy that might have a bigger impact than him once he actually does arrive at Auburn. He's a quarterback, vocal leader, and I'm looking forward to seeing him build relationships with some of these recruits throughout this recruiting cycle because that's what you want your quarterback doing, right? And and maybe it's a little bit harder for the three star the for the three star guy that largely was not heard about until he committed to Auburn. But then you begin to see some of his video of stuff that he's put out during the spring at his various camps, his seven on seven games that he's been participating in and now he's got an elite 11 finals that he's been invited to you see that the resume is building for him I hope that the relationships are building too amongst him and the other players that Auburn's trying to bring in I would say they certainly are I think he has been very very good at his job because that's kind of that's kind of the way quarterbacks work in recruiting cycles they usually recruit early and then they become a recruiter themselves and I think he's done a fantastic job at that so far before we we dive headfirst into the basketball stuff, I do want to ask you one more kind of a relevant football question. I don't think I've asked you this on air, but I want the people to be able to hear. We've heard nothing about J.J. Begees, have we? He's just kind of been buried in the, de- in the depth chart at defensive line at this point, right? Yeah, I think I think that's kind of a project. Auburn is believing, you know, maybe two years down the line, uh, maybe three years down the line, he could be a big factor there. But we saw it in the A-Day game. He's very raw at that position. He would just kind of throw himself into the offensive lineman instead of using his hands, which give him a little bit of time, and I think he'll be good. The coaching staff has spoke very highly of him, and they believe he can make this transition, and they've seen some flashes, but it's an area where he'll just need a little bit of time to develop there. Two more things that I want to talk about with football before we go to basketball. We're speaking with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us today. Anybody that wants to call in, call in. 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. If you've got any questions for us, if we can if we can answer them, we will try. 334-321-1390. I want to talk about running back real quick mm-hmm. because that seems to be the position at Auburn that has had the highest value, highest graded, highest ranked players coming through the door over the last week and a half or so. Where does Auburn stand in all this? Do we know? Is it still too early? Or is it just kind of like Auburn's building these connections with these guys and they're much further along with other teams? Where's Auburn at right now with some of these running backs? Because I know people are wondering what the future is like after Tank Bigsby. Yes, they had Quinshawn Judkins in. He's an Alabama running back. I believe he's a three-star. I really like Auburn's chances there. I think he's a guy that they'll bring in. And I think they're probably trying to add two, maybe three running backs, depending on how things go in this class. That's a lot. Yeah, they just had uh, O'Marion Hampton, a four-star running back out of North Carolina, in for an official last weekend. That seems like an Auburn trying to fight him away from North Carolina situation. So it's going to be tough, but I know he did really enjoy his official visit. And then this weekend, actually, they have uh, Trevante Citizen, the number two running back in the country out of Louisiana, in town for an official visit. And LSU already has a running back committed, so I don't know where things stand in terms of LSU trying to recruit him. So... It could be an opportunity for Auburn to go to Louisiana and snatch a really, really talented running back. And Alabama did that recently as well. I can't remember the last name of this player, but I know his first name's Le'Veon, and he was a Baton Rouge running back. And Alabama yeah. just got their second running back in their current class. They still have the Emmanuel the guy. I can't remember his last name either right now, but Alabama has that five-star running back mm-hmm. with the name of Emmanuel, and then they had the Le'Veon guy as their second running back, who's like still a four-star running back, of course. But, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, if Alabama did it, maybe Auburn could go into Baton Rouge and do it. 
Another question for recruiting that I wanted to ask you is about Micah Riley Ducker. Where does Auburn stand with him? Because he was a hot topic of conversation for us at the beginning of this week, talking about Auburn's recruiting philosophy that we've discussed with you a lot already about Auburn going national and what that means from a cultural standpoint, because Jeffrey Lee wrote his article about Micah Riley Ducker earlier this week, said that his four main guys, the four main teams that he's looking at, Iowa, Iowa State, Illinois, Auburn. When I look at that list, I say Auburn's the oddball of that group. Not just because I think Auburn's the most prestigious school of that group, because they are in terms of college football. Nationally, they are more prestigious, but Auburn's the oddball in a different way from a cultural standpoint. Three Midwest schools, one Southeastern school. Do you think that makes a difference here? I think it does a little bit. Um, I know he listed those four teams. I really think it's an Iowa-Auburn battle. Um, You know, Iowa's produced some really, really good tight ends over the past couple years, and I think it's a situation where Micah Riley Ducker really likes Auburn. He said that. He was actually here before his official visit. I think it was the A-Day game. Um, He paid to come down here, and he flew down here to visit. Um, And he really, really likes Auburn. But you look at the tight end depth chart, there's a ton of talent there already. So it's kind of a situation where he he wants wants to to go. he wants to play right away. Yeah. I mean, he's a very highly rated tight end, and he wants to go where he can play immediately. I think it's Auburn-Iowa. I really couldn't tell you which way it goes. I've heard Iowa, and I've heard Auburn, so that's a toss-up. I believe he's committing um, at the very beginning of July, maybe July 3rd, if I remember correctly. So Yeah, I think his last visit is to Iowa this upcoming week, right? Next week. Yeah, that sounds right, and then he's committing like very shortly after, so we'll learn about that one pretty soon, but... I think Auburn does stand a pretty good chance there. Unfortunately, too often, the last visit gets the commitment. I feel like you see that a lot. And I know it's early, but in his recruitment, it's not. It's late in the game. And so that that bothers me a little bit from an Auburn perspective. I'm like, uh, you'd love to see Auburn get this tight end in. Because I think he could be a hallmark player in this class. He's number 15 tight end on the Rivals site. And he fits more of Auburn's scheme at the tight end position than maybe what Auburn even already has at the tight end position in terms of having a true, agile, fast, pass-catching tight end at 6'6", 235. That does not exist on Auburn's roster right now. Yeah, I think Landon King could be that guy in a little bit, but he needs some time to kind of grow into a college body. We saw him at the 8A game. He's a little little undersized for a tight end, but give him two years. I like Landon King a lot. Where does Shanker fit into it this year? Is he still the presumed starter at tight end? Um, I would guess, but because he missed the spring, it was an opportunity for guys like Tyler Fromm, who didn't even play his first two seasons at Auburn, to become tight end one all of a sudden. So, And I think Luke Deal is very good as well. So I don't know. I feel like it's going to be kind of a tight end by committee. I think they are going to use uh, multiple tight end sets sometimes. So I think we'll see a lot of those guys. I, I guess Shanker is the number one, but I think uh, the snaps will be split pretty evenly let's keep it parked on football I want to save for a full segment for basketball and I saw your article today that you wrote about Auburn's wide receiver room answering the five big questions throughout this summer and whatnot and and your question today was about the wide receiver position gotta take me through what you're writing about today and and where people can find it on AuburnSports.com yes that was a story that I wrote today and it was like you said answering five big questions tomorrow I think will be how the offensive line shakes out in the fall but one of the big questions after the spring that I think everybody had was, you know, what's going to happen at wide receiver? The new offense is much more complex, and they had to learn a lot, and it was a lot of young, inexperienced guys that are trying to replace guys like Eli Stove, Anthony Schwartz, Seth Williams, and, you know, we saw that inexperience a little bit on A-Day. They looked a little out of, out of, comfort, out of their comfort zones a little bit. So right in today, you know, I think Elijah Canyon is probably going to be that guy. 
We saw him in the Citrus Bowl, and we saw him on A-Day be the number one receiver. And, you know, if I had to guess, I would go with that guy or with Canyon. But Xavion Capers, who missed most of spring, most of the spring, could be a number one guy. Kobe Hudson is pretty good. You know, they have a lot of talent at the position. It's just a lot of inexperienced talent at that. Outside of Riley Ducker, who is obviously, like like you mentioned, Noah, a really versatile guy, does Auburn have somebody that could be like a legitimate pass-catching threat at that tight end spot? Because I don't think Shanker is that guy. I've not seen enough out of deal, and the only thing that we've seen from Fromm was a 13-yard catch in the A-Day on the first play. So where does the tight end position stand as far as of being a receiving threat because obviously it's going to be more involved and whenever you have a really inexperienced wide receiver group you've got to be able to go and have somewhat of a safety valve do we see that at all at the tight end position this season I think so on a day I mean it was pretty quiet in terms of what the tight ends actually did I think that was a little bit of them trying to hide the offense and exactly what you just said with the wide receivers maybe being a little bit weaker this year I think they're going to lean on the tight ends and even lean on the running backs to catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit in terms of the personnel I would have to go John Samuel Shanker, I guess, because he is the most experienced. Um, Tyler Fromm would probably be my number two, but Luke Deal is, I don't know, he's more of a blocking tight end to me. I haven't seen him catch the ball quite enough to really fully believe in him. I think he could eventually be that guy, but I haven't seen enough out of him quite yet. What about Shedrick Jackson? He's been the guy that I have he's been a favorite of mine since he stepped onto campus because of how he was recruited and everybody how how he was talking about when he was being recruited said that I just remember people discussing him saying you look at this guy's body when he was coming out of the Birmingham area they said when you look at this guy's body he's ready for college now and he's been plagued by injuries and every year I get hoodwinked into believing this is the (laughs) year where he that he finally makes an impact right he may be the best blocking and I've kept my eye on him when he's out there he's blocking and he's the best blocking receiver on this football team where does his role go past that or is he really just going to end up being another blocking receiver this year I think he might just be another blocking receiver this year um he was out for the spring with an undisclosed injury we never found out what it was he was limited we didn't really get to see him at all but I mean I think Elijah Canyon Xavion Capers Kobe Hudson Javarius Johnson Malcolm Johnson Jr. I think all those guys might be a little bit more talented as a pass catching receiver than him so I just don't really know where his role fits in as the veteran I guess he's been here the longest he can teach those guys a little bit but I mean he's struggled with drops in the past so he's gonna have to get past that issue if he wants to see the field earlier this week Lance and I were talking about an article that was written on 24-7 sports It it was a stat tiger article talking about Auburn's passing game and the lack of verticality in said passing game going to your article today that you wrote on auburnsports.com does Auburn have the tools to improve that vertically downfield? And not just talking about 50 yards downfield, but maybe even 20 yards downfield. Because Auburn threw outside the hashes a lot with Gus Malzahn. I mean, that was really the focal point of the passing game, it seemed like, was outside the hashes. Does things transition more to in between the hash marks? And do they have the tools to do that more vertically this year? I think so a little bit. I think Javarius Johnson and Malcolm Johnson Jr. are both very fast and can find their way behind the defense um, pretty easily, honestly. We saw that a little bit on A-Day. I think it was Malcolm Johnson Jr. had two catches for like 41 yards, and one of those was maybe 36 yards or something was like that. Was he the one that caught the the basket catch? I think so, yes. From Demetrius Davis? I think that was yes. the throw, yeah. Yeah, um, so I think they certainly have the tools to be able to do that. Now my only concern would be the offensive line. Does the offensive line give Bo Nix enough time or whoever? Can it to, block a five-step drop? <laughs> yeah, does it give the wide receivers enough time to actually go deep? So. 
That would be my only concern. I do think they have the ability, though, at wide receiver to do that. Well, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we will talk about the tantalizing stuff that you have of the Auburn basketball program. You're listening on the line. We'll be back in just a moment. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com on the Friday edition of On the Line. And now to the main event. (laughs) What you've got me so excited about is some of the tidbits that you have on Auburn basketball. You got to go and watch a scrimmage. And this is by far, on paper, one of the most talented teams that we've seen recruited to Auburn. Now we want to know, and it's still early, it's the summer, they're just playing pickup basketball. But does it look different? It looks a lot different from last year. They look a lot tougher, playing a little more physical. There's clearly more talent on the floor, and they are good, man. The one thing that is really important to me, and we can get to talking about Jabari Smith later on, but the most important thing to me is making sure that Auburn's ball handlers, meaning the point guard and, and, and maybe even the two, the shooting guard, can actually handle the ball did Auburn's did Auburn's backcourt look comfortable doing that in scrimmage? They did, yes. So um, Wendell Green was there. Zepp Jasper has not reported to campus yet. That's nothing to be concerned about. He'll be here in a couple weeks. We talked to the coaches about that. Katie Johnson, who will probably play shooting guard, just got to campus a couple days ago, so he was still being held out of practice, but he was there watching. So it was Wendell Green, and then the other team had walk-on Preston Cook as the point guard. Wendell Green, probably a little bit smaller than he's listed, but he's built, he's big, um, and he's tough. There was a point where Alan Flanagan was trying to back him down. He was having none of it. He wasn't pushing him, but he was kind of moving him around a little bit and getting physical down there, and he wasn't having too much of it. His ball handling skills were good. He didn't turn the ball over too much. Some of the other team, uh, some of the other teammates did, and Bruce was harping on that a little bit, but Wendell was pretty good with the ball, and he could shoot a lot better than I expected. He shot from deep a couple times, and he hit the three pretty well. The comparison for Wendell Green that most people are drawing when he committed Jared Harper, does that hold, or are there some key differences? I think that's a pretty solid comparison. I think his uh, court vision is more like Shreve Cooper's, though. I think he has very good court vision. Not that Jared Harper had bad court vision, but... But Shreve Cooper was next-level court vision. Yes. And then also you're bringing in, I believe, Wendell Green led all freshmen last year in total assists in NCAA, or in, in D1. I might be wrong on that. I'd have to go check. I think that sounds right. He was one of only two freshmen to score over 400 points and have over 100 assists, and the other guy was uh, Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. So Sharif might have been there had he played all year long. Yeah, Yeah, that's funny. When you talk about Sharif versus Jared Harper, there's some key differences there. Like, If Jared Harper had the hype coming out of high school that Sharif Cooper had, Jared Harper probably gets drafted, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of – they're both undersized guards. They're about the same height. They're about the same weight. They're about the same player. But Jared Harper shoots the basketball so much better than Sharif Cooper. He's a lot better of a scorer than Sharif Cooper. But it's funny, Sharif Cooper's distribution got him dra- is going to get him drafted. And Jared Harper can't even get more than three minutes in a basketball game in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I, it, I, it, I still it, think Jared Harper should get an opportunity somewhere, which he is with the Knicks, but I think he should get an opportunity where he can really be Maybe not the starting point guard, but the backup point guard and get some true minutes. He's too talented not to. If Yogi Ferrell worked out for at least a little bit, (laughs) I'm I'm telling you, Jared Harper can work. They're they're not giving him an opportunity for some reason wherever he goes. It just doesn't make sense. But I I think that's an interesting point to make when you compare the two, and the two have been compared a lot during this past basketball season. 
Jared Harper came in as like a high three-star, low four-star, depending on where you were looking at. And Bruce Pearl kind of found this diamond of the rough point guard and was telling everybody that he's worth the price of admission. And he, he definitely ended up being that. It's funny, Sharif Cooper started in a different location. And it kind of goes to show you how the NBA draft works. A lot of your draft, a lot of your draft resume is done before you even step foot on college. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, I mean, Wendell Green, I think, is a mix of those two guys, though. Yeah. Put them together a little bit, and that's kind of what you get. It's the best of both worlds, maybe? Maybe a little bit. I think, I don't know if he's quite as polished as either of those guys quite yet. But, I mean, if he's here for two or three years, I think he'll be really, really good. And I think he'll be really good this year as well. He was very impressive to me yesterday. Yeah, so uh, Wendell Green Jr. actually did. He broke Eastern Kentucky's program freshman record with 146 assists, which was also the highest mark by any freshman in the country and was 15 most by any player overall last season. So, I mean, I'm right there with you as far as his court vision. You give him two years in this system, and in his junior or senior season, he's going to be an exceptional talent, especially when it comes to spreading the ball around the floor. Well, we've we've shawed long enough. People want to know about Jabari Smith. Yeah, um, I said this earlier. I think he's better than advertised. Because for me personally, if you're ranked number four in the country, I mean, that's insane. But if it's a power forward or a center, it's kind of, maybe at least it's just for me, it's hard to see, you know, how big of an impact can they make at that position. He can make an impact. He might be bigger than that 6'10". He might be 6'11", 7' foot even. Wow. But he moves really, really well. He had one play where Jalen Williams was guarding him up above the key. He crosses over Jalen gets to the basket, stretch gets a block. Um, that scrimmage team gets the ball back. Wendell Green actually misses a three. Jabari chases down a deep board, shoots a three, wins the scrimmage. Um, I'm watching afterwards. He goes eight for ten on corner threes. I stopped watching after wow. that point, and he went uh, to the wing. But, I mean, he was knocking them down easily. He was moving up and down the floor really well. He was playing well inside. He was playing well outside. He was crashing the boards. I he is good, man. He is very, very good. I wonder if he's focused and having fun. <laughs> Everybody in this studio was super young when Kevin Durant was in college. But that's that's been the comparison that I've wanted to make all throughout his recruitment. And that's a hard player to compare it to because Kevin Durant's a future Hall of Famer. He's one of the best basketball players of our generation that we've ever seen. He's been consistently in the top of the the top three of the NBA, top two in the NBA. Take take your pick, and when he's healthy, he's virtually unguardable, right? But I try to remember that in college, Kevin Durant in college is not nearly as good, not even in the same hemisphere as good as Kevin Durant now and what we see in the pros. And so when I say I compare Jabari Smith to Kevin Durant, it's Kevin Durant in college rather than Kevin Durant in pros. And that can't be out of the realm of possibility because he's a future top five pick in the NBA draft. I mean, I think after what I saw yesterday, he could be a top three pick. I think He's only going to be here for one year. I'm just going to tell you that now. That's really no secret. <laughs> but if he was here for like four years or whatever, he would go down as the best basketball player in Auburn basketball history. I'm well, pretty confident in that. And I think he'll go down as probably the most talented up to this point. But because he's only here for one year, mm -hmm. he won't be able to break all those all-time records and stuff like that. And I could care less <laughs> if he breaks those records. I think a, a top three pick, if anything, that's breaking a record in itself. Yeah. I don't think that's ever happened at Auburn. <laughs> You know, I mean, that hasn't happened at Auburn. So, I mean, that would be a that would be a big get. I mean, you're hyping me up so much at this point. It's not comparing Jabari Smith to Kevin Durant. It's comparing Kevin Durant to Jabari <laughs> Smith. I mean, come on, this guy's gonna be a stud. I'm really, really excited. That's the thing that I'm looking that I'm looking 
at the most. And you talk about these guards being comfortable handling the ball. I'm really also looking for this entire team to be comfortable handling the ball because we saw last season when the point guard situation got rough, Auburn didn't have any other answers. And it's, it's going to be really nice to have a power forward if you want to be able to go fast and get up and down the court to be able to get it to him and him actually be able to do something in space and score. So that that's really exciting to me. Yeah, well, I think Jabari can do that. And even Jalen Williams can do that. Jalen Williams has great handles and great court vision for a four. And then I'll tell you about one play as well. Walker Kessler brought the ball up the floor at one point. He gets, a, he gets a defensive rebound. He tells the team just run back fast break. He tries to set up a fast break. He brings the ball up the floor, uh, passes it to Preston Cook at the top of the key, sets a perfect screen, rolls to the basket, perfect pass, slams it down. Walker Kessler looked very, very good as well. He does not move like a seven foot one guy, and he is all of seven foot one. Was he out there shooting the three at all? He was. He knocked down the first three of the scrimmage, actually. Wow, dude, man, I'm I'm so so excited after just just hearing it. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm so excited. And uh, sorry, but one of my personal favorite guys that I truly believe in a lot, and I think is very good, Alan Flanagan. I was just about to ask. He yeah. looks he looks very good. He looks more comfortable. Um, I watched him after practice talking about some notes a little bit. He missed his first free throw, hit 16 in a row, and then went on to go 18 of 20 on the free throws that I watched. His shot looks a little more smooth. It looks good. I think he's going to be improved again, um, which is saying something after how much he improved from year one to year two. Not trying to take this conversation away from from where we're at, but I do want to add a tidbit on Auburn's NBA draft history. Highest players that they've ever had drafted come at fourth overall. 1988 draft was the last time we saw that. Chris Morris, a Ford and then all the way back to Chuck Person in 2000 or excuse me in 1986 Charles Barkley was the 5th overall draft pick in 1984 so that's that's the mark you're trying to beat is 4 if you're Jabari Smith and then you break a record in draft I, history I think he can when Look you, it was just a preseason scrimmage but after yesterday I went in saying that I think Alan Flanagan will be the leading scorer for this year's team and this is no knock on Alan Flanagan because he looked even better than I thought yesterday. I think Jabari Smith is the leading scorer now. We'll keep talking about Auburn basketball on the other side of this break. Stay with us. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl, joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us here on the Friday edition of the show. We're having a lot of fun 30 minutes into the show talking Auburn basketball. Christian got to go and watch a scrimmage the other day. When was the scrimmage? Yesterday. Yesterday. And just a lot of great tidbits and information. If you've missed any of it so far, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Will you have any articles about it coming out, or is that just is that not on the is that not on the docket? Uh, we have practice observations that we put on our message boards for subscribers, okay. but we don't we don't really have any articles or anything like that. Well, we, tell everybody where where to go and find the goods, my man. Yes, you can head over to auburnsports.com, and if you subscribe, you'll see our practice observations from yesterday. And we have actually a couple uh, going back. JG Tate got to go see practice. I didn't get to see it, so I can't talk about that. And I didn't get to see it. But we've been to a couple practices so far, and I think we'll be at a couple next week as well. So, Well, Lance, during the break, you said you still have a lot of questions. So 
I'm tossing up the softball, my man. So the first question I want to be able to ask you is, obviously Auburn kind of lacked a leader last season up until Sharif Cooper stepped in and was leading that offense. Alan Flanagan did his best. But my question to you is not necessarily from a statistical standpoint, but who is who is the, the after watching yesterday's scrimmage, who's the leader? Is it Flanagan? Uh, it is not Alan Flanagan. And I will tell you why. It It's an interesting kind of experiment, I guess you could say, that Bruce is doing in scrimmage. Um and Jay told me a little bit about this, and then he did it again yesterday. Uh, the one scrimmage team had Devin Cambridge, Alan Flanagan, Jalen Williams all on it. So those are guys that have been here for three years, or they'll be going into their third year. They're also the guys that are the quietest. They don't really talk. They don't communicate. And Bruce has been stressing that to them a ton. Hey, you need to talk a little bit more. You need to get communicative a little bit. I think that leader will probably end up being Wendell Green Jr. It could be Zeb Jasper. We haven't gotten to see him yet. I don't know how vocal he is. But Wendell is very vocal. He's running the offense, and he's loud. Um, and Alan Flanagan, he's just he's not overly loud, so I don't know if he'll end up being that leader. I think he could be that statistical leader, but on the court, I don't know if he'll be that leader. Jabari is actually, for being a four, he's kind of a leader as well. He's very vocal out there. So st- statistic- statistically, it might be Jabari Smith, but you, you expect it to come from that guard spot, either Green or Jasper, depending on what Jasper looks like. I think so, yes. Um, and even Katie Johnson, um, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but he is apparently very vocal out there as well. So I'll be interesting, interested to see what he does next week once he kind of joins practice. We've- oh, man, I, I, th- I can totally expect Katie Johnson to be someone who's chirping at other players too, which I didn't watch a ton of Georgia basketball last year, but when you look at a dude who's averaging almost two steals a game, um, I don't mean this in a, in a derogatory way. I mean this in, in, in a, the right way because this is good for Auburn. He will be a pest to other yeah. players, and he could very well be the enforcer of the backcourt, if you will. I could see that, yeah, and I – don't discredit Zeb Jasper. They called him the honey badger at College of Charleston because of just how good he could defend. That is what he's going to bring. He's going to be an incredible on-ball defender and especially on the perimeter. So I'm going to be very excited to see him get here and see what he does. So that would be my that was my next question to you is obviously Auburn had some issues last season, even though they were one of the, one of the best shot blocking teams in the, the entire country. They still had issues protecting the rim at times, it seemed. What did the offense look like? as far as running the fast break and were they shooting more outside or were they getting to the rim? And then how was Auburn defending that? Uh, I would say they were actually defending pretty well. Um, They were forcing and Bruce wasn't too happy about it, but there were a decent (laughs) amount of turnovers, but a lot of that was defensively forced. Um, They're long. This is a long team. Yeah. Um, Offense shot a fair amount of threes, I would say, but they also attacked inside. Um, Jalen Williams on one play actually had a very, very good physical play down low on Jabari Smith, and then he finished it with a left-handed hook. He ended up missing it a little bit, but Bruce was very happy to see him make that physical play down there because Jalen Williams hasn't necessarily done that quite as much as previous two seasons at Auburn. So I think the offense might shoot a little bit more outside, and I think the defense did look improved yesterday. So what I'm gathering, and, and you, you and I have talked about this a little bit, is my, my concern is because all of these, these players that Auburn have br- has brought in are going to be so tall, they won't be able to run the floor as well as they have been in the past, but that's obviously, after you've seen it in person, not a concern whatsoever. Nope, not a problem in the slightest. Walker Kessler <laughs> does not run like a seven foot one player. They glide. Yeah, he runs the fast break very, very well. He kind of thrives in the fast break, to be honest. He just looks comfortable. He knows where to be, which a lot of players don't normally know where to be. Jabari Smith looks comfortable. He can run the floor very, very well. And they're not, as you just said, there aren't many players in college basketball at the four and the five that move well. 
And when you've got a player that moves well and moves effortlessly and isn't clumsy, Austin Wiley was kind of clumsy. That's the player that I can that I can draw back to. And that offense with Austin Wiley, although that was a good basketball team, it slowed down more, I felt like, than we were used to seeing with the Final Four team the year before. They seemed to have a more coordinated front court, I guess, based on what you're telling us. I think so, yes. And I would even look to the bench, and I would say Dylan Cardwell looked smoother yesterday as well. He looks a little bit more fit. He looks to be in really good shape, and he was running the floor quite a bit better than I would say we saw his freshman season. That's that's what was going to be my next question as far as the players behind Kessler. Was Kessler leading the team or at the center position as far as minutes go, or did we see a little bit of Cardwell and Stretch out there as well? Okay, so the one team had Kessler, and then Stretch was the backup center on that team. Um, and at one point, Kessler got hit in the face. Then he subbed out, and Stretch subbed in. And then on the other team, it was Dylan Cardwell running the center with uh, Jabari on that team. And Dylan Cardwell looked very good. Stretch looked pretty good on defense. His offense still looked like it was a little bit of a work in process, but work in, excuse me, work in process. But Stretch, he looked pretty good. And I don't know. I think the guys behind Walker Kessler will be pretty good. Until Auburn gets some of these other guards on campus, obviously they're not going to be able to go small ball. But at, at any point, did they have somebody out, outside of those three guys at the center position? They did not know. So I'll just run down the teams real quick. Actually, this will make it a little easier. So the uh, the team in the white jerseys was Preston Cook, Devin Cambridge at the two, Alan Flanagan, Jalen Williams, and then it was Walker Kessler and Stretch. And then the other team was Wendell Green Jr., uh, walk-on Chandler Leopard, um, Chris Moore at the three, Jabari Smith, and then Dylan Cardwell. So those were the teams for the scrimmage, and they didn't really switch out or anything like that. So Jabari Smith was playing on both teams? Did I did say Jabari I, Smith? I think did I did yeah. I did I mishear that? I think uh, you, the first you had team him on the two or the second team, right? He was on the second team. The first team had Jalen Williams. Oh my bad. Okay, I, I thought have, I heard Jabari Smith. I might That's have said me. Jabari. All right, I'll go ahead but. and say this right now. I think Jalen Williams <laughs> is, is an, has been exceptional in his two seasons at Auburn. He's played really really well. Uh, he's played within his role. I think he's a great player. But if if he's starting over Jabari Smith game one, I'm probably going to be upset because based on what you've told me, Jabari Smith deserves to start. Right. See, going into that practice, I, I wouldn't have been shocked if Jalen Williams was the starter for game one. I don't know if I still would be shocked, but it would maybe be a little bit of a surprise based on what I saw from Jabari Smith. In practice, it's fine. I think it's fine it's to have your leaders and your, senior, and your veteran guys out there. We're, just, we're so used the, to the, college basketball not being afraid to start freshmen, especially as talented as Jabari Smith. Now, at Auburn, we're not used to it, but... Sharif Cooper stepped right out on the floor in the most difficult position in basketball and played immediately as a freshman. He missed half the season, didn't even get to practice. So I don't see why we couldn't see Jabari Smith go out there right away. I mean, he's the best player on the team. Based on where his recruiting rankings have him, he should be, by the end of the season, the best player on the team. I don't think it would necessarily be a knock on Jabari Smith if he wasn't starting. I think it would more so be praise for Jalen Williams and the fact that he has been here, he knows the system, and he's been very, very good. Look, even if Jalen Williams doesn't start, he's still probably going to play 25 to 30 minutes a game because he could play at the 3, 4, or the 5 realistically. He's going to clean up a ton of minutes, and I think he's going to be a very big piece off the bench for Auburn. How has his offensive game progressed? Has he added the three-point shot any more consistently than where he was? Because he could shoot it, but has it developed any? Uh, I actually didn't get to see him shoot the three once. He didn't pull any, but he was playing a little more inside, trying to be a little more physical, develop that part of his game, which I think is good. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys in the front court that can shoot the three ball. So yeah. maybe they don't need to uh, Jalen Williams to do that. 
they probably don't necessarily need him. I think he will, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just one scrimmage. I think yeah. moving forward, he probably will. But that was just one thing I didn't see as much of yesterday. If you had to put a bow on this here with one takeaway, what is it? Uh, buy stock in Auburn basketball. <laughs> to the moon! Yeah, let's go. <laughs> well, then... Let me take this in a different direction then because we've talked a ton about the positives, right? I mean, we, we really haven't said much negative. Where's the negative? Because they, they couldn't have been perfect, right? They, yeah, it was the turnovers. The turnovers were the issue. Um, and Bruce said it after practice. He's like, hey, Wendell Green, uh, Preston Cook, when he gets here, Zep Jasper, these guys get a little bit of a pass. You know, they're playing point guard. They can have a couple more turnovers. But I don't want to see my bigs, I don't want to see my wins turning the ball over quite as much, so – that's something that they're trying to cut down on now so they don't have that issue in the season like they did last season. Do you think that comes with experience or does that come with chemistry? I think that'll come with chemistry a little bit. And they were, I mean, look, they were playing tough defense yesterday, man. They're I, long. It's it's good that Bruce is harping on that because you don't want to have a lot of turnovers. But, I mean, they were forcing some of those turnovers. They're They're good defensively this year. It makes the team better that they play themselves, right? It's not mm-hmm. like I joked yesterday on the show because we've been talking about we've been doing an Auburn football schedule analysis series and we've had to talk about Akron and Alabama State for the first two days <laughs> and people are probably wondering what's going on on, on the line, right? People, These guys are talking about Alabama State, but I said Auburn would get better just doing a full-on practice at full speed against the Auburn defense than they would against Akron or Alabama State's defense because they're playing better competition and so when you've been talking about the turnovers and the ball handlers for the point guards, some passes that they may not be able to make consistently in practice, they're going to be able to make against other teams in college basketball, even at the highest level in the SEC, because not everybody's as long as Auburn. And then when they start to be able to make those passes a little bit more consistently in practice, some of these tight window thread the needle passes, watch out when these guys are on the floor. I'm, I'm excited about the possibility of these guys running. I'm hoping for more lobs. I'm hoping for Lob City at Auburn with the athleticism that's on the team. I hope Devin Cambridge's head touches the top of the backboard safely, but I hope it touches the top of the backboard. He looked good too yesterday. He was crashing the boards quite a bit. Um, he had one good pump fake. He ended up missing the three, but it was a fantastic pump fake. That uh, Who did he get? Oh, it was Chris Moore. And Chris Moore actually looked very good as well. He looks a lot slimmer. He still is running the floor really, really well. He always finds himself in himself in great positions under the basket I don't know how he does it but he's always in a good spot to get a rebound and that was the same thing yesterday during the scrimmage one more not necessarily negative thing but one more negative thing if there is a guy that is still here from last year's roster that is on this year's roster who who is the guy that gets left out as far as minutes go that had those minutes last season um I guess I would probably say stretch he didn't have a ton of minutes last season but because Walker Kessler is now in the mix and Dylan Cardwell is still here. It looks like Dylan Cardwell is getting better. Yeah, and you always have the option to play a Jalen Williams or a Jabari Smith at the five. I guess I would lean with stretch, but I still think he's probably going to have, you know, anywhere from five to ten minutes per game. Be that guy that can go in and get some boards, get some blocks, and, you know, give a good rest spell for Walker Kessler and Dylan Cardwell. I'll say I'll 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 – I'll say one more thing. This will be my final comment on this one scrimmage because earlier <laughs> Till I got, the next thing. Right? Earlier I got chills, man. Like I'm like legitimately. I'm not even kidding. I cannot tell you how excited I am. But this was a tweet that I had on April twentieth, and I'll I'll leave it at this. This is the year. Bruce Pearl has improved Auburn so much with these new recruits. He's focused. He's having fun. I would not be surprised if Auburn is a dark horse for the national title. <laughs> 
that fits a lot better than the tweet about Bo Nix. It's legitimate. Fits a lot better. It's legitimate. <laughs> it's happening. It is. That's what it seems like. Not what, necessarily national title, but Auburn's going to be really good this year, man. I think they're in that bunch of teams that won't be written about that way. We talked about this during the break, that Auburn will not be viewed going into the year, at least it's my opinion, based on what we've seen preseason predictions so far, that's not going to change going through the offseason. John Rothstein's like the only national media guy that's giving Auburn any credit right now in terms of the talent that they brought in, listing him. He's like the only guy that I've seen rank them in the top 15. Joe Lenardi has Auburn as a seventh seed in the last bracketology that I saw. So when I when I look at the national media's perspective of Auburn, I understand they don't cover Auburn basketball closely. They don't have the time to maybe, or, or do they have the need to go and research players like Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green Jr.? They don't see the value maybe in some of what Auburn's brought in. The national media will not have Auburn ranked in the preseason inside the top 15 now i can see inside the top 20 i'm probably hovering more around 20 through 22 that's where i probably think we'll see auburn in the preseason rankings because ap voters once again they just don't do their research most of the time they just grade their guys and go but auburn will in my opinion based on what we've seen from from talent on this roster i think you have to look at this team being in contention being one of those teams a group of 10 teams maybe is what you see that could win a national title in, in a year. And, and I think Auburn should be in that bunch this upcoming year. Number 22 in the AP poll, number one in our hearts. Let's get it, boys. <laughs> number one on the floor. I don't number. know what you're talking about. This team, this team's going to cook some squads. I'm, I'm on I'm on it. You told they, me to buy stock, I'm in. If they can, <laughs> if they can run the floor, and I'd lo- I just want to see it, if they can run the floor as good as you say they can, this is going to be a special year. <laughs> Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to ask you about basketball recruiting. I don't know if you got anything extra about that, but Bruce Pearl's been bringing in a ton of guys, so let's talk about that when we come back on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl, joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. Only have you for another five minutes, so let's make the most of it here. But before we do... Let's take a listen to What's On TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday, movies and sports as we go into the weekend. Throw it back to the 80s with Ralph Macchio and the Karate Kid on BBC at 7. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is on FX Movies at 7. Robots looking to take over the world. iRobot is on Paramount at 6. In live sports, Atlanta has jumped ahead of the 76ers yet again. The Hawks lead Philly in the series 3-2 with Game 6 in Atlanta at 6.30 on ESPN. The Clippers look to end the series against the Jazz having come from behind a 2-0 deficit. Up 3-2 now, Game 6 is on ESPN at 9. In the NHL playoffs, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens are tied in the Stanley Cup semifinals at 1-1. Game 3 is on USA at 7. U.S. Open Golf is on NBC from 5-8. to Following it at 8, the U.S. Tokyo Olympic Trials are in Day 6 of the swimming finals. Day 1 of track and field is on NBC Sports at 6. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you, joined by Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. Let's get into Auburn basketball recruiting. We've talked pretty much the last two segments about Auburn basketball, what you saw on the court in their scrimmage yesterday. Which was beautiful. (laughs) And if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. But recruiting, what's the latest? Yeah, so, I mean, they brought in that flurry of five stars and some highly rated four stars at the beginning of the month. Basketball recruiting as a whole and football recruiting as a whole kind of slowed down a little bit 
just because of camps, I think, mostly. Well, in basketball, there's no more five stars to bring in. You already brought them all in. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Um, they just had, he just wrapped up his official visit, I want to say yesterday or maybe the day before, Trey Donaldson uh, out of Florida. He's a two-sport athlete. He's a four-star safety and a three-star point guard. He came on a basketball official visit. I think he's a little bit better than a three-star point guard, and he's very good. And after he left, he said Auburn and Florida are tied. Will he play fo- football? Yes. Um, That'd be fun. That would be something they're going to have to work out. I don't know how they're planning to do that or whatnot. That's an issue for a later date if he does come to Auburn. But he did talk with Derek Mason a little bit, and then he spent most of his time with the basketball staff. And, I mean, Florida led by a lot, it seemed like, move, going into it. But now Auburn and Florida are tied, according to him. So I say this jokingly, but tired is Jaquince Kool-Aid McKinstry. Wired is... <laughs> Trey Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> Trey Donaldson is probably a little bit of a better basketball player than Kool-Aid yeah. McKinstry is. Yeah, but get him out of here. Kool-Aid but Quincy's gone in three years. <laughs> yeah, he's a better football player probably, at least right now. Yeah. Kool-Aid's going to be playing in the NFL for sure. And then and he very well could end up with the way that we've seen some Alabama DBs burst onto the scene last year. Some of the younger guys really burst on last year where we thought that that may be a weakness Kool-Aid's got a chance to see some serious playing time this year at Alabama, and he could end up bursting onto the scene and taking one of the starting spots. Yeah. At least There's at least one starting spot open at cornerback now that Sertan's gone. They That that can be taken by McKinstry, and it seems like it's up for grabs. I don't know if he will be the starter, but by the end of the year, he very well could be the starter at Alabama. Will he play basketball at Alabama at all? Like, Is he going to touch the floor? I know he's on the team. but I, I don't know how much he'll play, and that's kind of just a credit to Alabama basketball as much as yeah. Alabama fans probably don't want to hear it. But Alabama basketball is very good, so I don't know how much he'll play. But like you said on football, I'm super high on him. Um, Auburn was pursuing him obviously very heavily, but – couldn't quite reel him in that was a bad day that was a bad day <laughs> when he committed to Alabama but another basketball player that you mentioned during the break that we can touch on for just a second here Sage Tolentino yeah he committed I, I don't remember when he committed but it was a while ago and it kind of happened out of nowhere it was like oh a 2022 guy just committed and kind of what is this but he was an unranked guy out of the time out of Hawaii because of COVID he moved to Ohio I believe to continue playing and be able to play in high school it's probably he, big for his recruitment, too, for it, people to actually be able to watch him play. It was, yeah. Uh, he's been able to go to more camps and stuff like that. I know our Dan McDonald from Rivals has been huge on him so far. In the latest updated rankings, he just became a three-star. I want to say he's like number 139 in the class. That's not too bad. Yeah, so he's rising up uh, the boards a little bit. I think he could be a four-star once it's all over with, but he's very good. He moves the He runs the floor pretty well for a seven-foot-one guy. He needs to build out his body a little bit, but he can shoot the three. He can play inside a little bit. I think he's a sneaky good pickup that Bruce got quite a while ago, and people might forget him, forget about him a little. Just oh, excuse me, forget about him a little bit just because it happened so long ago. But once this class wraps up, he could be a good good prospect in that class. Well, he will be a four star because here at Auburn we only play the four and five stars. <laughs> we are we are legitimate. <laughs> we are, we're it's, we're making it happen, man. I'm so I'm so excited for this season. He's the only commitment right now in the 2022 class for Auburn. So that's somebody that, that, like you said, other people may have forgotten about, but I'm glad we could get some information there, some updated information on Tolentino. Yeah, he's been rising up boards quite a bit. That's it for the first hour of On the Line. A big thank you there to Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com for joining us. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just excellent information. Also, go check his workout on AuburnSports.com. We'll be back with hour number two coming up in just a few minutes. We'll see you at 3 o'clock.
on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hour number two coming your way. That was a fun hour number one with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. If you missed any of that hour, you need to go and find that on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. That is where you can find the on the line podcast so make sure you go and find that because christian clemente brought the news today if you need a shot in the arm if you're if you are a sad auburn fan go listen to that first hour it will give you hope a lot of hope and confidence for this basketball squad heading <laughs> not into football basketball basketball <laughs> not to forget the football is up in the air but basketball is going to be good this year you, you okay people may call in and they may say well y'all are hating on Auburn not for the not the basketball team brother <laughs> I'm with this team if they lose every single game if they win every single game I will be hyping this team up until I die I'm so excited for this season well what sticks out to me is everything <laughs> well yeah but I asked him the question if you know, put a bow on this and give me one takeaway about the whole thing. And he said, buy stock in Auburn basketball. So get hyped. The, it, like, with, for, forget the Bo Nix Twitter joke. Like, this is legitimately, I think this is the year. Like, I think this is it. I think this is the year. Under Bruce Pearl, I think from a talent perspective, this is probably the closest opportunity Auburn will have to winning a national championship. And I was saying that before things went haywire last year. As soon as the beginning of this year, back in like January, before things really fell apart, I was still, and, and I still am saying that, I think that this, from a talent perspective, Auburn's got the pieces to win it this year. I don't think Kentucky could beat us. I sure don't think Tennessee could beat us based on what's been going on the past two or three years uh, with, with Pearl beating Tennessee. I don't see Arkansas beating us. I don't see, Al- I, I see Alabama being competitive. I mean, all of those teams could beat Auburn, so I don't know if we should go that far. But I, Arkansas, I, Arkansas, that's my biggest concern. They have to replace some players, though, right? They do, but I mean, what of Musselman course, does, Musselman isn't he called like the importer or something like that is. by John Rothstein? So he's a whiz in the transfer portal. But, but will they beat Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler? No, I <laughs> maybe not. But I'll say this: Lance is my biggest. Train. They're my biggest. Concern. It took off about twenty minutes ago, <laughs> and there's no catching it. I'm trying to like pump the brakes. I'm like, hold on, man. Hold like, on, man. They can still be beaten. They can still lose games. I'm and the just... NCAA tournament does not always produce. And Auburn, I don't think you can say going into the year that Auburn is the best team in the country, obviously. Like, that is not a thing, but Auburn is top 10 in talent, I believe. And I'm sitting here over, over here going, man, I think Auburn's probably going to go like 40-0 and and win the next three national titles. Like, <laughs> Chill whoa, out, whoa, 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 whoa. Chill out. <laughs> oh, man, because that could make you lose your credibility a little bit. I Oof. think in all honesty, and this is not out of the realm of possibility here, this is not, this is not coming out of left field. 
Auburn is top 10 in the country in talent and basketball this year and what they have on the roster, but you still have to deal with injuries. You still have to deal with chemistry. You still have to deal with all those things when you bring in and you mass import players into a program through the transfer portal. I mean, at one point, Auburn had five new players. Now you minus one because of Desi Seals. You got four new players, three of which are going to start probably in Walker Kessler, Katie Johnson, and Wendell Green or Zep Jasper, one of the two. So three new guys are going to be in the starting five. It's it's a new look Auburn team. I will say if there is a concern for me with all the the, the being with all the dramatics and all the the hype aside, if there is a concern for me, it's chemistry because we didn't see a whole lot of that last season. That's held back Kentucky teams from winning national championships. Yes, but I, I will also say this: if there was a coach in, in college basketball that I would trust to give my young team some chemistry, it'd probably be Bruce Pearl. So it's going to be a battle this off season. But I think Pearl is going to make it work. And like we've seen, Auburn peaks at the right time. They have for two or three seasons in a row now. And I don't think this team is going to be any different. I think there are going to be some kinks to work out uh, the first few weeks of the season. But once this thing gets rolling, I think it's going to be hard to stop. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more. There's seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Good time now to pivot in our conversation. Let's lay the basketball talk to rest because there is a football season approaching and basketball is not the primary thing on our mind as much as we would like it to be. Lance, we have to remind ourselves we are not the Kentucky Wildcats we do have football we do have something else to cling to (laughs) so with football talk coming up this second hour we're going to do Auburn schedule analysis taking a look at the Penn State Nittany Lions we'll rank our top five tight ends in the SEC for 2021 I know I've been saying that we will do that for days now it is finally going to happen we are doing that now let's begin rank our top five tight ends for the SEC in 2021 and that allows us to put a bow on the playmakers and the players that will score in the SEC this upcoming year. So let's start at number five. Who is your fifth best tight end in the SEC in 2021? And I like this one. Quickly, it's legitimately been like a week, right? We've been saying for a week we'll rank our top five tight ends, and then we just always get carried away talking about something else. But More it, pressing issues. More pressing issues. But at number five, and initially I had one specific player, but I'm gonna I'm going to say the entire tight end group because – I don't know who's going to be that number one guy as far as being a pass-catching pass threat goes. I'm going to say whoever starts for Auburn at tight end. And initially I had Tyler Fromm. I don't know if he's going to be that guy simply because I think Shanker may start at that position. I don't trust Shanker as a pass catcher. I trust it. The, the two times we've seen Shanker like legitimately catch like a touchdown pass was on a trick play. I don't think this team is going to be doing that. I think we're going to see other guys get opportunities to score. I think we're going to see Frazier or Deal or Fromm, whoever it's going to be, Landon King, We've got one of those guys is going to lead this team at the tight end spot. Whoever it is, I'm I'm putting it the be, the fifth best tight end in the SEC. I love the fact that you're predicting it. I want to push you a little bit here and get your thoughts because the the rebuttal to what you just said though is at least about who is going to be the tight end. You said you don't trust John Samuel Shanker more than some of the other guys. He's been the leading tight end out of this group. So what makes you trust the other guys more than John Samuel Shanker? Because again, whenever we've seen Shanker get involved in the offense, it's been it's been a trick play, and it, it, it I don't put a lot of stock in that. 
whenever Auburn wanted to go into the flat or get a curl route going, they'd go to the fullback instead of the tight end in the past under Malzahn. You'd see Spencer Nye get involved. You'd see Chandler, Chandler Cox get involved way more than the tight end position did whenever he was at Auburn. So I trust this coaching staff, after seeing what they run at Boise, to implement pass-catching tight ends a lot more. And I don't think it's going to be Schenker. I think it's going to be one of those two guys. That's just my gut feeling. It could be Schenker, and if it is, he's the fifth best guy in the SEC, but I would lean more in the direction of Brandon Frazier or Tyler Fromm. And the new scheme is going to incorporate tight ends more into the mix. I want to talk about John Samuel Schenker as a baseball player for a moment and how that comes back to football for me because if you play two sports at the collegiate level, you're an athlete. You can play. Unfortunately... He plays one of the more unathletic positions in baseball. If he's not DHing, he's a first baseman. Jacob, I'm correct in that, right? That is correct. Yep. That he never plays first base, but if he were to play first base, if he were to play in the field for some reason, he would play first base. He played a few first base uh in like fall reps in the in the fall and, and midweek games, but he he didn't get much playing time. So on the one hand, you could say, well, he plays the position in baseball where you catch the ball virtually every play. But on the flip side, you play, honestly, the least mobile position in baseball aside from catcher and pitcher, right? You play one of the one of the three least mobile positions. So it kind of works against him there. Baseball isn't always the sport that I want to go to and be like, yeah, that guy's an athlete, but he does play two sports. That carries some weight for me, and he's got to be good with his hands and his vision and hand-eye coordination if he's playing first base. I'll say his, his speed looks pretty good on the bases, better than really? what I thought it would whenever he he's would deceptively get a hit. fast i mean he he's is. a stocky dude he's he's a relatively short tight end he 6 kind 3 of, 241 yeah right and, and the way that he moves isn't agile it kind of looks like the wind could tip him over on honestly like i don't, I don't want to say that the dude waddles but it's not it doesn't look like the most fleet of foot he's not the most agile i don't think he changes he direction move. well no but he does move I feel like fairly well, like Jacob said, with maybe straight line speed, which is definitely more suitable for baseball Mm -hmm. than it is for football. But up to this point, I think he's shown more promise than any of the other tight ends. But I like your I like your spiciness there. What could have hurt him is the fact that he wasn't with Auburn in the spring. But we also know that there was a press conference, and I remember this press conference where Brian Harson oohed and odd over John Samuel Shanker as an athlete. Right. And if he is the the leading receiver at that tight end position come into the season, so so be it. But as of right now, I just would love to see Fromm or Frazier, just based off of what I understand, get more involved in this passing offense because I've seen Well, that's what they years. were billed as coming out of high school. Right. So you want to see it finally come to fruition. Right, and I've seen three years of Schenker, and I've not seen him get involved. Was that the scheme? Maybe. We'll 100% see. 100% it was the scheme. But I, I, I want to see some of these other guys get involved because I've seen three years of Schenker out on the field, and I think – I'd like to see some of these other pass-catching threats, if that's what they were billed as, actually step up. In many ways, Auburn's tight end position under Gus Malzahn acted as a fullback. It's known as the H-back, but in the spread, that's what's called an H-back. If Auburn was in the I formation, they'd be playing fullback. Right. So that's how Auburn used them under Gus Malzahn. That changes. You're now going to have inline tight ends. Sometimes you might even see the more athletic tight ends. Like if Auburn were to bring in a Micah Riley-Ducker, it may not be out of the realm of possibility that maybe you could split him out into the slot just to create a matchup nightmare for a linebacker or for a cornerback. I wouldn't put that out of the realm of possibility. Auburn doesn't have that on the roster yet, but with the group that they do have, you certainly will see more of them on the line of scrimmage, attached to the line, attached to the offensive line, that is. And we saw that during the spring game. 
I like the hot take there. I do not have Auburn's tight ends in my top five because I still wonder. I'm, I'm more reserved on the tight end position going into this year. I think we see more of an emphasis on the tight ends, but I wonder, I truly wonder if the previous coaching staff ruined the entire tight end room with these guys on the roster. Maybe not Landon King because he really wasn't in the program for that long, but I truly do wonder if these guys may have developed stone hands at the tight end position because of the previous coaching staff. So I have a harder time just because we haven't seen it right. so for so long. I have a harder time just going out on the limb and saying that these guys are going to be in the top five because I actually think that there are a hard, solid group of five tight ends in the SEC that will directly make impacts and will be a matchup nightmare. At least the top four will be, will be matchup issues for opposing teams in the SEC. And I'll start at number five with South Carolina and Nick Muse. Nick Muse would be a matchup nightmare for anybody else in the SEC that had a competent quarterback and a competent offensive scheme and really just anything competent about their offense or their football team. But Nick Muse is playing on a team that is breaking in a brand new quarterback, Luke Doty, more than likely going to be the starter at South Carolina this upcoming year, which does have some excitement for South Carolina fans. And he played pretty well in his limited snaps last season, but still there's going to be growing pains with Doty, a little bit of a dual threat quarterback there, pro style arm, dual threat below the belt, right? The guy can move, but he's still got more of a pro style arm. He's a quarterback that is going to probably have to rely on his safety valves. And Nick Muse at South Carolina last year, despite the incompetence of the offense, had 30 catches for 425 yards, 4.2 yards per reception, and a touchdown. He's worse than all of the other guys I have on my list, but in one of the worst schemes in the SEC last year one of the worst teams in the SEC last year the second worst team in the league last year he still ended up being one of the most productive tight ends of the SEC a year ago and that means something to me so I've got him at five I have Nick Muse at number four actually and the reason that I do is whenever you look at the South Carolina offense you know we look at it this season and we've been saying Kevin Harris may be the only thing that they have well if they have anything else it's Nick Muse and he was reliable as a junior last year and I think he's going to be reliable for a new quarterback in Luke Doty this season I don't think this offense is going to be necessarily anything special but I think it's going to be able to actually actually do some things especially whenever Nick Muse gets involved along with Kevin Harris if you look at the stat line like you mentioned 30 receptions 425 yards 14.2 yards per catch and then a touchdown I think those numbers are going to go up a little bit because you look at this receiver room they don't bring back any starters talk about safety valves in the SEC talk about guys like Ed Auburn getting involved whenever you don't have any starting receivers come back I think we're going to see the same thing with South Carolina I don't think it's going to be as potent as Auburn maybe statistically but I think Muse is going to get involved and at the end of the day I think he's one of the top five tight ends in the SEC and Doty's going to be relying on his safety valves, right? Heavily. And so that's where Nick Muse comes in. And I wonder if the quarterback position gets better for South Carolina this year with Luke Doty at quarterback as opposed to Colin Hill last year. Of course, they lose coordinator Mike Bobo, but they also bring in Oklahoma offensive coordinator Shane Beamer as their head coach. I wonder what changes happens with the South Carolina offense to maybe accentuate their skill set. But one thing is for sure, at the moment, the two best playmakers on the South Carolina offense returning from last season is Kevin Harris at running back and Nick Muse at tight end. There's no denying that. Right there with you. Moving to number four on my list, I have the Alabama tight end Jalil Billingsley, and this is based a decent amount on track record, but I do mm-hmm. believe that he's shown this up to this point. Not extremely productive at Alabama 
last season. But we will be saying the same thing when we get to Darnell Washington on my list. We'll be saying the same thing about Eric Gilbert. Really, there was only a couple of extremely productive tight ends yes. returning in the SEC this upcoming year, but several guys that really showed the talent. And Jalil Billingsley really could be the next good tight end for Alabama as his role will increase in this offense. There's no longer four wide receivers that are going in the first round of the NFL draft. Now they have John Mechie and of course some of these younger guys that will be coming up that they brought in like H.I. Hall. Those guys very well could end up being first round draft picks down the line. But the point is they don't have four bona fide NFL first round draft picks at wide receiver this year all on the field at the same time there's going to be more of an incorporation of the tight end position not only that you're bringing in bill o'brien who's well known for incorporating tight ends into his offenses from the nfl that's an nfl thing jalil billingsley is going to be used this is a guy who can do both things well block and catch now obviously if you look at his stats from last year not overly productive but i'm going to trust the Alabama brand and how they've utilized the tight end position that Jalil Billingsley will be one of the better tight ends in the Southeastern Conference next year. Everything you just said is why I have Billingsley at three. <laughs> well, I'm trying to figure out who you left off your list then that I have that you don't. It's going to be interesting to see. We'll, we'll, we'll continue moving on here. But uh, as far as Billingsley goes, you look at his statistics, and he was more involved in the offense as the season progressed. He was almost non-existent whenever the season began, but you look down the line, he caught a touchdown against Auburn, he caught a touchdown against LSU, uh, season high in both receptions and then yards there, four catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown. And then he had four catches against Notre Dame, and he had a touchdown. He was more productive in this offense as the season went on, and like you just said, they're not going to have four first-round NFL receivers on their roster. They're going to have to rely on some of these these guys that actually return production, and he's one of those guys is, is Billingsley. And he's yeah. a veteran, so he's going to be comfortable. He, he knows the scheme. It, it's not to say that Slade Bolden and some of these other receivers that are coming back, A.J. Hall could really work in like John Mechie did as a freshman. Not to say that those guys won't be great at wide receiver, but... It's a formality that the Alabama receiver room is worse this year. They lost a Heisman winner. They lost two first-round draft picks that were drafted in, what, the top 12 of the NFL draft? Whatever. I can't remember when Devontae Smith, what pick he was drafted with. I know it was still very high in the first round. But Jayla Waddle was like number six overall pick in the draft, number seven overall pick in the draft, whatever he was. You lost two first-round draft picks at wide receiver, and the only guy that you bring it back out of that group that significantly played at wideout was John Mechie. So it's by, by the book, just what they lost, it got worse. It's still great, but it got worse. And your number two or number three should expect, be expected to be Billingsley. I would, I would say right now he's probably the third best pass catcher on this team. Slay Bolden's number two. Right. And so statistically, at the end of the day, you, you look at all these numbers that this Alabama offense is probably going to put up. I think Billingsley, I had a really hard time between him and Nick Muse, but again, it comes back to how productive is the is the offense overall going to be and how often are they going to be able to actually get their players the ball. I think Billingsley takes the cake for me at three. Let's park it here at three. I'm going to go ahead and get my third, and then we'll head to a quick break. Number three for me, I have to put an asterisk on it because recently I have seen stuff, and I've mentioned this several times throughout the past couple of weeks. At number three, I have Eric Gilbert, who is now at Georgia, the LSU transfer that was a former top-tier tight end, a Gatorade player of the year, all the accolades for Eric Gilbert coming out of high school. Eric Gilbert very well could be playing wide receiver for Georgia this year. He could be playing the X, more of a short yardage receiver, matchup nightmare for an outside cornerback, especially the smaller ones 
in the league considering Eric Gilbert sitting at around 250 pounds and he's you know above six feet tall this is a major issue for cornerbacks out on the edge and they could be that could be why Georgia's trying to with other guys that can stretch the field the field like Curious Jackson and Jermaine Burton they could be wanting to create that matchup issue when they have a player like Darnell Washington who is more of an inline tight end and showcase some of what he could do in the Georgia spring game and that guy is massive so that's an issue as well for for defense players and we'll get to Darnell Washington later but Eric Gilbert I have at three I put him behind Darnell Washington who I'll talk about later because I don't believe Eric Gilbert is more of a by the book tight end this year in the Georgia offense he's going to play some wide receiver he might end up in the slot some they may attach him in two tight end sets onto the offensive line they may do that he's more of a jack-of-all-trades tight end you look at his stats last year at LSU 35 catches 368 yards 10 and a half yards per receptions two touchdowns do those numbers increase at Georgia with Darnell Washington and some of these other pass catchers I don't know it probably stays about the same maybe his yards per reception go up maybe he catches one or two more touchdowns he's definitely going to be a red zone threat at 250 and once again well above six feet tall he's going to be an issue for pretty much any cornerback that tries to guard him in the red zone so maybe you see his touchdowns go up a little bit more it just still remains to be seen how George is going to be using him but looking at his recruiting rankings coming out of high school and what he did at LSU last year there's no doubt this guy's a top three tight end in the SEC I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you I've got an interesting take uh, at, at the number two spot and I'll explain why after we come back from break well let's take a quick break here we'll be back on the other side of this break you're listening to on the line short segment here on on the line we went a little long on the first segment of our number two we're ranking our top five tight ends in the sec for 2021 wrapping up a group of position rankings position player rankings some of the top playmakers in the sec for 2021 we talked about quarterbacks running backs wide receivers today we finally got to tight ends me and you have kind of mirrored each other in our rankings aside from the fact that you had an auburn tight end at five which i adore the fact that you have the confidence that Auburn will place a tight end at the top five of the SEC by season's end. Let's get to top two. You said you had an interesting take here, and it's about the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, as, as far as the, the the tight end spot at number five for for Auburn, I, after talking to Christian that first hour, I'm feeling myself, man. I'm pro-Auburn right now. I'm all the way. I'm on the Auburn train right now, baby. But as far as number two goes, I've got Eric Gilbert slash Darnell Washington. And there's a reason for that. Obviously, in these rankings, I put an entire unit at number five, and I put two guys at number two, and it may be a little weird to say, it's like, well, you can't necessarily do that, but here's my, here's my thought process at number two. Eric Gilbert is coming into this Georgia program as a tight end, but they've said that they're probably going to put him out wide a lot more often than that, and even though he might end up in some two tight end sets, he's, he's not going to be utilized as a tight end all the time. Darnell Washington is. I'm right there with you. I don't know how how much how high Eric Gilbert's statistics increase. I don't know how big of a jump that he makes at a, as a wideout. Too many dudes in the room. There's know? a not lot, not just at tight end, but wide receiver. There's a lot of guys, and then also Darnell Washington's going to be starting at tight end as well. It's like you're going to have them both out there on the field at the same time, but it, one of them is not going to be playing tight end. So I have a really hard time if they're not going to be putting Eric Gilbert in every single play as a tight end to say that he's he's number five because we also might see Darnell Washington quite a bit so I've got them both there it's just whoever starts and whoever has has more 
more, not necessarily statistics, but whoever has more opportunity and, and is there at that tight end spot more often. I've got that guy at number two. Well, at number two, I have Darnell Washington. And in your hypothetical situation, I think that ends up being Darnell Washington. That's why I put Eric Gilbert at three and Darnell Washington at two. I see him more as an inline tight end. I don't believe we'll see him put out into the slot that often because I think he, if you just look at the person and how big he is, he's definitely meant more for blocking and pass catching from a hand of the dirt location. Can you go and get his measurables? I can. So Darnell Washington, just a huge person. If you watch the Georgia spring game, you saw him make some plays. This guy's going to be a problem. And he wasn't used a ton last year. But keep in mind, last year's production is A, held down because it was only a 10-game SEC season. Georgia goes 8-2. and You also have to keep in mind, you have to temper your expectations in terms of pass catchers because Stetson Bennett was their quarterback for 75% of the season. Right. So... These guys weren't utilized to their full ability, and Georgia's offense really didn't start looking like it would for this year. And even then, I don't think it reached top efficiency until you got towards the end of the season with JT Daniels. And even then, like I said, I don't I don't think it reached top efficiency at any point last year for Georgia. This year, I, I believe it takes a step forward from an offensive standpoint. Darnell Washington is a problem. I know you've got his measurables. What are they? Just take a stab. I'm going to go like 6'8". 275 67265 this man it's pretty close is wow as as a big. tight end and a five star coming out of high school this dude is a stud he's a big and that's a problem he he looks pretty guys like that should not be moving that fast he looks pretty fast and when he's not going to outrun cornerbacks but they don't need him to they could stick him in the slot and if a nickelback is up on him they can run him across the middle of the field and he can box out a cornerback. The cornerbacks are too small to be able to get around to make a play on the ball if he's sure-handed enough. You can also put him on the line, though, and he is faster than your average linebacker. And at 265 pounds, he's a lot larger than today's day and age of linebackers. To put that in perspective, what, Zacoby McClain's like 215 pounds? So he's got 50 pounds on Zacoby McClain? He's got 50 pounds on Owen Papo, right? Like, even though Owen Papo could keep up with him in terms of foot speed, just like a cornerback could, they're going to get boxed out because of how large Darnell Washington is. That's why we've seen the evolution of the tight end in college football, because these freakishly large dudes that can also catch the ball and move fast match up nightmares. They used to not exist. Now they exist. Yeah, his 40 time is 4.75. I mean, at 6'7", 265, you shouldn't be able to move like that. That's not right. That's not right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back on the other side of this break. We'll give you our number one tight end of the SEC when we come back. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack coming up from four to six. ESPN one six seven Fox Sports Central Alabama. You're listening to On the Line. Been ranking our top five tight ends in the SEC for 2021. We have made it to the top of our list. And it's the same guy, Jalen Weidermeyer, Texas A&M, and by far, when you look at his statistics last year, returning tight end at, as a junior, you could see this guy jump ship and head to the NFL after this year too. And I hope that Haynes King doesn't hurt his draft stock this upcoming season. But Jalen Weidermeyer, one of the top tight ends in 
the country. What are you talking about? I don't know the same guy. It's Ben, uh, whatever his last name is. Can't even pr- pronounce it from Vanderbilt. What are you even talking it's about? It's Ben, bro? whatever his name is. It's actually Alabama's third string tight end. No, for for real, it's got to be Weidermeyer, and I think it's a combination of two things. Number one, I've been talking about the fact that the rest of your offense has to hum, and you have to be efficient in order for me to like look at your tight end position and say that it, it, it goes well. And then also, you have to be able to look at the, the quarterback situation and see how much are they going to rely on safety valve type players and I think you're getting a really good combination of that here at Texas A&M with Haynes King and Jalen Weidermeyer and you look at his stats and they're incredibly impressive and I think they're going to be even more impressive this season. Stats last year 46 catches for 506 yards 11 yards per reception six touchdowns he led the receiver room in touchdowns with six he also led the receiver room in receptions three more than the next guy which is Anaya Smith who had 43 catches for 564 yards 13.1 yards per reception and six TDs so hand-in-hand right there Jalen Weidermeyer last year if you'll remember against Auburn had two touchdowns Weidermeyer is a matchup nightmare for for anybody in the SEC he really is and whenever you look at the the rest of this receiver room I think you're going to definitely have some guys that are going to get the ball uh quite a bit in 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 Anaya Smith and Chase Lane but at the same time Weidermeyer is not leaving this offense if anything he's going to grow and with a guy like Haynes King trying to step in and trying to learn this offense and trying to get comfortable you're going to need to go to to that to that number one target quite a bit. Weidermeyer's not going anywhere as a go-to guy if anything he'll be a safety valve but he's not going anywhere as a go-to guy to the freshman quarterback, right? Like, if anything, the players that are going to see their role dwindle are the third and fourth guys in the receiver room than Jalen Weidermeyer. And like I said, as a junior tight end this year, could very well end up being uh, a top-tier tight end draft pick next Real season. quick, I just want to let everybody know I do know how to pronounce Vanderbilt's tight end. It's Breast in the Hand. It's Breast in the Hand. So there and you he go. was, was solid. He almost made my list. He almost did, actually. Like, legitimately, no joke. I, I thought about putting him at number five, but Tyler Fromm. Well, let's wrap up. The tight end talk here. Let's get past that. Let's head to the phone lines. 334-321-1390. And on the line with us, we got Bama Dog. Bama Dog, what's on your mind, my man? Gentlemen, gentlemen, how y'all doing today? We're doing great. What's up? Good. Hey, look, I came in the tail end of this thing, so I was just wondering, what did y'all have Billingsley? Uh, I have Billingsley at four, and Lance has him at three. And I really like Billingsley a lot, and there's really not a big difference there between four and two for me with Billingsley and Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington. The big thing is the Georgia tight ends now produced a little bit more than Billingsley last year, but Billingsley's still going to be one of the better tight ends of the SEC. I, I think he can block, he can catch, and his production, as Lance pointed out earlier in the show, he can it increased as the season went on. He did a lot more at the end of last year than he did at the beginning. And with all of those first-round receivers leaving the room, it's him and John Mechie probably as the top two pass catchers, and then Slade Bolden, uh, a close third. I think Billingsley ends up being a focal point for Bryce Young. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I can see his role increasing just for the reason uh, that you, that you uh, just mentioned. And now I need to get your opinion on something. So they come out with the uh, preseason All-American. They, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, the kicker from Bama should have got him a little bit. Which uh, which preseason list are you talking about? Are you talking about the Walter Camp one that came out a couple days ago? Yeah. Yeah, and Reichert yeah. was was perfect last year. And what's unfortunate yeah, is kicker is so hard to, to grade because there are a lot of guys that can do that. But Reichert yeah, definitely is going to be work. the mix. What do you think? Need a little more work? I don't know. I, I, I don't know how Reichert could be any better. Like I said, he yeah, was perfect last better. year. He can hit it from more than 50. 
I know he had a tough spring game, but that, I don't think that that should have affected him in preseason watch list or anything like that. The guy couldn't have been any better last year, and he was a he was up there for the Lou Groza. I can't remember if he was a finalist, but he was up there. I mean, Riker's one of the best kickers in college football, so I don't, I you know, I, I don't even, I don't even look at the Walter Camp list to see who they listed as kicker. I know Bama had some other guys get on there. I think they had, a, they had uh, I can't remember, I, I, I might have them backwards, but I think it was uh, the guy from uh, LSU, Kate York. Yeah, he's a fan favorite. First team, and then, and then y'all's y'all, y'all guy was uh, 17. Anders Carlson, Carlson yeah. yeah. The I'll tell you this, I'm looking at Athlon Sports' predictions. They've got Cade York, first team, Anders Carlson, second team, and then Gabe Burkich of Oklahoma, third team. So I'm kind of confused, too. I think Will Reichert's one of the best kickers in college football. I'm not sure what it is about Reichert. I mean, he went 14 for 14 last year. Can't do any better than that. But there were a lot of good kickers last season. I remember you got down to the Groza finalists last year, and it's Anders Carlson had a great year at Auburn, and he didn't even make it as a finalist. You know, And there wasn't much. Last year, what Anders Carlson did for Auburn was good enough to win a Groza in some years. I mean, he even performed better than his brother's best season did several years before that. And so last year, I think you got a loaded kicker class in college football that may be keeping, uh, maybe keeping Reichard on the outside right now. Well, dang, maybe, maybe he's going to have to go uh, perfect again. <laughs> <laughs> but I will they say this, Bama Dog, you had three guys on the Walter Camp preseason All-American teams with Will Anderson, Evan Neal, and then um, Josh Job. So, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty solid. You had three guys get on All-American teams. I think you can go without the kicker. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go without the kicker. I said, and I didn't mean to jump in. Well, Bama Dog, I appreciate you yeah. taking the time to call in, my man. Hey, no problem. Y'all have a good one. You too, Bama Dog. That was Bama Dog on the line with us. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And I love it when, when other t- fans, teams call in too. I know a lot of times we talk about Auburn. If you're an Alabama fan, if you're a Georgia fan, LSU fan, if you're a Bowling Green fan, call in. We want to hear from you. If you are an Alabama State fan and you are Let's displeased with our grading last last or <laughs> tell yesterday, us tell us why we're wrong, man. But yeah, I, I'm 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 right there with him. If you go 14 for for 14 on one of the best offenses in the country, if not the best one, it's kind of hard to do any any better than that, honestly. Is it opportunity? Is it distance? I don't know. It's a loaded class. And look, here's the reality. And I said this several times about basketball rankings. People just don't do their research. I I know this. This is a real thing. If you ask media personalities to rank their offensive linemen, they're just going to give you... There's a lot of groupthink going on. And what I mean by groupthink is... There's just the foregone conclusion that there's a couple of guys that are just better than everybody else, and you really just don't look past it. That That's it. Like you're, you're going to sit in with this group of people out of fear of ostracization. You're not going to go outside of it. You're not going to go against the grain because you just don't watch the offensive line that much. How many media people out there, other than like PFF and like draft analysts, do you think and do you trust their perspectives on the offensive line? Cole Kubelik, because he was an offensive lineman. That's fair. That's a good <laughs> but point. But that's it. I mean – but like nobody linemen, else is talking about the O line. O linemen are the only people I really do trust about that, right? Because and nobody else is looking at because it. Because they played the position, and I'm not all in like on. I only trust people that have played the sport. But when it comes to offensive linemen specifically, I think they're the big ones to trust. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And Will Reichert last year in kicking 
Like, I think that could be applied to kickers. Who Who's really like, man, like nobody's getting fired up about the fact that like the Oregon kicker is this much better than the Arizona kicker. You know, that's just not a hot Woo! topic in college football. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't get advertisers, right? No, that doesn't get you clicks, you know? Lance, it sounded like you had a thought. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just going to just make a joke. He said the big ones to trust, no pun intended, as far as the offensive linemen go. That's good. That's good. But I yeah, like I'm right there with you. Nobody's really getting fired up about Arizona and Oregon's kickers. Like, all right, let's go. But he was 14 for 14 on field goals, 126 points last year for Will Reichard. And, you know, honestly, it's Will Reichard getting fired up that he got left off of these award lists. There's not much that he can do comparing him to Anders Carlson last year. Anders Carlson knocked through 20 of 22 field goals, had 84 total points. So Will Reichard edges him on points honors carlson obviously made more field goals but a higher percentage for will reichard and once you got to last year at the end for the groza man there was a list of like five or six guys where i could have said that guy deserves it to, to win the award any any year i think part of it also is alabama kickers everyone thinks oh alabama kickers miss 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 in the biggest moment but you think that would benefit reichard more because it should he's, he is the he's the abnormality but i feel like some might not even look that's what you're talking about, doing the yeah. research. Some people might not even look at what the Alabama kicker did last year. And or there's this perception when they're comparing him to other guys like that. And guy di- can't didn't be he miss an extra point in the postseason? That might have happened. And that would completely. But isn't that after the award ceremony in college football? Well, we're talking about the preseason All American. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. And I, I really think that that would completely skew anyone's thought. Oh, same old Alabama kickers. And that's what they would think. That's fair. Spring game. There was jokes going around at the spring game this past this past, and year. that might have been it. Also, I just don't think that you should weigh the spring game at not all. Not at all for for no. these preseason watch no. lists or for these preseason All Americans. But it's not a big deal whatsoever. There's some good kickers out there in college football this season, and a lot of Auburn folks are like, "What does Anders Carlson have to do? What does Auburn have to do to win a Groza?" Right? I was going to say you were talking about fans getting fired up about kickers. Auburn fans were pretty fired up when he came in second place two years in a row. Yeah, who Daniel Carlson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the there was one year more than the first year that he was up for it was more deserving than the second year. Right. I think he deserved to lose the second year. In the first year, maybe the other kicker had like a longer field goal made or something like that, or maybe he was slightly more accurate. Carlson kind of regressed a little bit going into that senior year. He now, did. Anders Carlson's done the complete opposite. He has substantially improved each and every season by like over 10% accuracy every single season he's going into his final year watch out maybe he could get drafted this is the year but there are so many kickers in college football that are good there's a plethora of them when you go into the draft maybe he doesn't get drafted it's weird like there are so many good kickers in college football right now that it's it's hard to evaluate one better than the other because it's kicker do you make it or not and that a, is your criteria and a lot of them got the extra year and of course they're going to come back honors he's using his extra year and also think that his 2019 alabama game has kind of propelled him to improve because he was so good in that game after the earlier in the year he didn't look back he couldn't make a I think what it was, he was like 0 for something from above 50 yards. There was like a multiple game stretch where he didn't make a field goal. It was crazy. And then he did what he did against Alabama. And then. He's a big part of why Auburn won. 2020. If you don't make that field goal before halftime, Auburn doesn't win that Iron Bowl. Auburn beats Arkansas last year because he makes that clutch field goal. That's right. That's right. And imagine what's got to be going through his head after what happened with Bo Nix on the play before. 
You're right. Well, there are two things that, that Anders has got to do in order to get drafted this season. Obviously, 20 of 22 last season, but he's got to be focused, <laughs> and he's got to be having fun out there, man. I'm, I beat that joke to death. I should stop. But it's if it, he he has substantially improved, and 20 of 22 is, is nothing to scoff at. I mean, that's solid. That's really solid. To go along with this, though, and talk about these preseason teams, because this was on the rundown, Alabama did have three players selected to the Walker Walter Camp preseason All-America team, like we were saying, to Bama Dog. They got Will Anderson at linebacker, Evan Neal, and they got Job out of the defensive backfield. It's funny how this Alabama defensive backfield has grown over the last two seasons because you went into last year and you thought that could be the weakness of the team, but then you had Battle and you had Job and you had these different players step up alongside Sertan, and they ended up being actually a really good defensive backfield and now they bring back the majority of those players yeah and they they were you know in the past Alabama's not had uh for the past two or three seasons not an incredible defensive backfield and you look at them statistically last year I mean they were 70th, 70th nationally in in yards passing allowed per game 239.2 yards per game there but but like you mentioned they're bringing back three of those starters and and they've they've they're ha- they're going to have time to develop they're going to actually have a spring and an off season to actually get themselves prepared and Alabama doesn't continually slide in positions like defensive back and statistically they don't they will not continually slide i think that if anything this group will get much much better those three players Malachi Moore, Jordan Battle, and Josh Job all had breakout seasons last year and really their first year of significant playing time. You imagine that they build upon that yes. because as I've said countless times, you see the biggest jump in development in a player from his first year playing to his second year playing. Not his first year on campus, but his first year playing to his second year playing. You see a big jump in development here with these three guys. And then not to mention there's still one cornerback spot open where you're replacing one of your corners from last year and just leave it open to highly recruited players like Marcus Baines and Jaquincy Kool-Aid McKinstry and Jalen Armour Davis. Take your pick who slides into that spot. I said earlier on today's show that I could see Kool-Aid McKinstry making the most of of his position, uh, make the most of that open position in the defensive backfield to possibly find his way to be a starter by the end of the season. Give this, give this group an offseason. Give them time. And they will be they will be the strength of this Alabama defense. You look at the the rest of the roster defensively, the the makeup of it, and they should be the the strength of this defense, wouldn't you agree? The defensive backs? Yes. I like the defensive backs a lot, but I'm I and I asked myself this question before the show. I like the defensive backs a lot, but it's very hard for me to say that the strength of any Alabama defense is anything but the front seven. Even if they only return a handful of guys, but DJ Dell is someone who really came on towards the end of last season, performed well in the national championship game. LeBron Ray, a highly touted recruit, now going to be a starter off the edge at defensive end. You look at the linebackers, Christian Harris, you got Anderson as well. Name name a better linebacker group in the SEC than what you have in the state of Alabama between the Alabama and the Auburn linebackers. It's hard to beat in the SEC. And so for me, I have a hard time going anywhere other than front seven, namely linebacker. But the DBs, they're they are not they're they're not sliding, like you said. It's it's not worse by much. If it is, it's still great. Yeah, when you when, when you look at the combined names, when you have Job, Moore, McKinstry potentially in battle, I mean that's still gonna be a really solid group. Let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we wrap up the Friday edition of the show. Let's send you into the weekend.
On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Get ready to send you into the weekend. Let's take a quick break here, though, and listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday, movies and sports as we go into the weekend. Throw it back to the 80s with Ralph Macchio and the Karate Kid on BBC at 7. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is on FX Movies at 7. Robots looking to take over the world. iRobot is on Paramount at 6. In live sports, Atlanta has jumped ahead of the 76ers yet again. The Hawks lead Philly in the series 3-2 with Game 6 in Atlanta at 6.30 on ESPN. The Clippers look to end the series against the Jazz having come from behind a 2-0 deficit. Up 3-2 now, Game 6 is on ESPN at 9. In the NHL playoffs, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens are tied in the Stanley Cup semifinals at 1-1. Game 3 is on USA at 7. U.S. Open Golf is on NBC from 5-8. to Following it at 8, the U.S. Tokyo Olympic Trials are in Day 6 of the swimming finals. Day 1 of track and field is on NBC Sports at 6. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Let's wrap up the Friday edition of the show here. Three minutes left. Let's talk a little Auburn basketball in the NBA. Isaac Okoro lands on the 2020-2021 all-rookie second team. Barely made it in. Ten players were selected for the rookie teams. And in terms of points, after the voters voted, you accumulated a certain amount of points. Isaac Okoro finished ninth out of the 10 players selected which placed him on the second team it didn't matter what position it could have been it could have been 10 guards if they wanted to of course that didn't occur Isaac Okoro lands inside the top 10 of that voting he's on the second team he was ninth out of 10th in voters points there that's a great start for Isaac Okoro in the NBA after you wrap up a season I think whenever you look at what he was doing coming out of college from an offensive standpoint as a fan you, you would have pointed to his ability to shoot the three and said he's not going to be able to make it in the NBA. But he didn't shoot well from three this season, and he still was one of the, be- the Cavs' best players night in and night out. And we saw as the season progressed him get better and better and better as each month went on. I believe his he had some, increased too. I believe you had some numbers about his about what he was doing in May, but he, he continued to, to jump up there, at least from a, a scoring perspective. At the end of the season in the month of May... He averaged 15.7 points a game, 4.2 rebounds, and two and a half assists, and 34.9 minutes played. To compare that to his regular season numbers as a whole, he averaged 9.6 points a game, 3.1 rebounds, and 1.9 assists. So all of those marks go up. But what he did do across the season, he was available. He played in a team best 67 games, all of which were starts which should tell you something about Isaac Okoro and the way that the Cavaliers view him. Not only did they have him on the court, more than pretty much anybody else on that roster, considering he had a team best 67 games and all of them were starts, but he was consistently guarding the opposing team's best player. So what that tells me is they believe in this guy's athleticism. They believe in this guy as a project. They already see that the defense is there. He's just got to become more consistent on the offensive end, and it should be a good sign if he can stay healthy. It should be a good sign how he ended the season, averaging 15 a night. If he can get you 15 a night, shoot the ball a little bit better from the perimeter, be a little bit more of a wing guy on the offensive side of the floor, and he defends better than 95% of the NBA, this guy's going to be in the NBA for a very long time. 
That's exactly, everything you just said is exactly what I would, was about to say as far as his longevity is concerned. Because if you're doing this year one as a rookie, and you're doing what you were doing in your final month as a rookie, scoring, even though when everybody said the only reason this man is getting drafted is because of his defense, if you're doing the other part, if you're actually scoring the basketball, you're going to be in the NBA for a very long time. And I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star or anything like that, but he's going to be somebody to respect. Because again, like you mentioned, they put him up against the other team's best player every single night he was he was guarding LeBron he was guarding KD he was guarding the big names in the NBA he was out there and he was competing now would I say that he was competing well against those elite scorers based on highlights I've seen probably not he had but, some great dunks now but he was dunking all over people yeah. he's got the athleticism there are two players I want to compare real quick to Wilson Chandler and Jay Crowder and those two guys have stayed in the league for quite some time and they played the game very similar to how, how Isaac Okoro started. So keep an eye. See how long this guy can go. If he can prove as an offensive player, well, you can see him stay in the league for a long time. Maybe, maybe even become an all-star. You never know. With the athleticism, he could do it. We'll see you on Monday, everybody.